Discouragement is one of the most subtle ways that we can get hurt, limited, and defeated. This message is the first in the series, Energized and Encouraged. The message is entitled, The Power of Encouragement. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to a new series of messages this weekend entitled Encouraged or Energized and Encouraged. Before we get into the message, there's one thing that I do want to highlight for you. Uh, we have coming up here in just a few weeks, Thanksgiving, and then very rapidly into the Christmas season as well. And we as a church always love to really be engaged with our community and helping people of need and in need during the Christmas, Thanksgiving, Christmas season. And that's what these little envelopes are for that you received today when you came in for our holiday outreaches. Just get, give you a little bit of a vision of what we're doing here. We are attempting, desiring to, and plan on being able to uh, support about 2,500 families, household units for Thanksgiving this year. That means providing them a Thanksgiving meal. If you just do a simple math on that of, for example, three people per household, that's over 7,500 people will get a meal because Church of the Redeemer Care. That's in all of our different campuses. And so uh, your giving can assist us in that. And then going into the Christmas season, we hope to be able to provide at least 5,000 children with a gift this year because of the caring of the, this, this church body and this family of believers. So this is something that you can do above and beyond your regular ties and offerings. This will go directly to feeding families at Thanksgiving and providing gifts at Christmas. And that's what this envelope can uh, be provided, is provided for. It helps us if you'll use the envelope. If you are making out a check, utilize that. You can also give online as well. Uh, because it'll help us to just uh, note that this goes directly to that particular need. As I said, we're starting a series of messages this weekend entitled Energized and Encouraged. I want to start today by talking to you about the power of encouragement in your life, the power of encouragement. I'll begin by reminding you of something that we've talked about over the last several weeks, at least I touched on briefly as a part of the Believable series, but I want to remind you today of a very important fact in the Bible. The very first thing I want to give you today is the reminder that God is for people, that God is for you, God is not against you. I want you to say with me together across our campuses, God is for me, God is not against me. Say it together, God is for me, God is not against me. This is very important to understand. Because many people approach the Bible as though God is somehow angry at them and God is frustrated with them. But I want you to know that God wants you to live your best life. That God is for you. He is not against you. Now, if God be for you, what you must also understand is that there is an enemy that is against you. His name is Satan. It's not as though you do not face any enemies. You and I do face an enemy. His name is the devil. And the devil, the Bible says, steal, kills, and destroys us. He comes against us to undermine the purpose that God has for our lives. God has good things for you. The devil would like to come into your life in some way and invade your life and to bring his weapons to bear against you so that the very thing that God intends for your life is nullified, is negated in some way. Now, we know that ultimately God is the one who has the power to overcome the enemy, but we must be aware of the devices of darkness. And one of those devices the enemy will use in your life, one of the things that many people are really taken down by is something called discouragement. Discouragement is one of the greatest weapons the enemy will ever use against you in his artillery. And if you and I do not learn how to battle discouragement, we're going to fall prey to some things in life 
And that's what I want to do over the next several weeks is to help you to understand, first and foremost, what discouragement is and then how to recognize it in your life, how to battle against it with the weapons that God will give you so that you can be and will be victorious over it. And today I'm going to share with you three very important truths about discouragement that you need to understand. The first two will just lay some foundation. The third one is really the point I want to bring home to us today. But the first thing you must know about discouragement is that discouragement is a very sneaky thing in your life. It sneaks up on you. It's very subtle. One of the most subtle and sneaky tools the adversary will ever use in your life. I like to describe discouragement very much like the picture of sitting by the beach. And all of us have had those moments. We have our chair out by the beach and we're watching the waves come in. And then we notice something. We notice that, well, maybe I need to move my chair back just a little bit because the water seems to be coming a bit closer than it was before. And so you move your chair back some and, and then you realize, wow, it's, it's, it's close again. And so you continue to move your chair back until it's not long before the territory you had has now been taken over by the water. It sneaks up on you. The tide comes in and takes over. And the same is true for discouragement in your life. The discouragement does not announce its arrival. It does not show up one day and say, hi, I'm discouragement here. I'm here to take you down. It just comes in little by little, very subtly. The word discourage literally means to lessen the courage or the confidence of someone. It means to take the spirit out of, to remove the essential elements that are necessary for sustenance and necessary for success. It means to reduce the heart. We often speak of someone losing heart. What that means is they are discouraged. They don't have the same heart to put into something they had before. It is to sap the strength and to sap the courage of a person. Discouragement always takes away from. It never adds to. It's taking away from your life. It is stealing from you. And most of us don't recognize the sneakiness of discouragement when it comes our way until we feel the effects of it. How does discouragement sneak into a person's life? Let me share with you some of the most common ways that you and I fall prey to discouragement. I'm going to very quickly give you five ways that discouragement can sneak into your life. First of all, through your disappointments. Life disappoints us at times. People disappoint us at times. We disappoint ourselves at times. We have expectations that we think are going to be fulfilled, and then they're not fulfilled or not fulfilled in the way that we expected. And so when our expectations do not find fulfillment, we experience disappointment. We have this emotional letdown. And these emotional letdown moments, if we're not careful, can give way to this tide of discouragement coming in. There's a story in the Bible of a man by the name of Peter. You know him well. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And Peter himself went through a time of great discouragement in his life because of his own disappointment with himself. See, Peter thought of himself as someone who was very strong. In fact, on the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed and the next day he was going to be crucified, he's sitting around Jesus with his disciples. And Peter in that moment affirmed his love for Jesus and said, Jesus, if everybody else leaves you, I will never leave you. I will never deny you. And Jesus said, oh, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no, 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 not me, Lord. And of course, you know the story that actually that night, Peter denied Jesus three times, and of course he went out weeping bitterly, and he felt miserable because he not only disappointed Jesus, but he disappointed himself. And some of the worst disappointments you'll ever have in life is when you disappoint yourself. So Peter is suffering with this disappointment. It goes on for days. 
And this disappointment begins to build in him because he feels like I've really failed as an apostle. I've failed as a disciple. There's no real hope for me. How am I going to come back after this? I mean, it seems to be over with. And this culminates in an event in Peter's life and it's recorded in John chapter 21. Let me read for you the first three verses and you'll see discouragement at work in this man's life. Afterward, Jesus is after his resurrection, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, that's Thomas the Doubter, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that would have been James and John, and two other disciples were together. Notice Peter's words in verse 3. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Here's this moment when discouragement catches up with Peter. Peter has failed. He's disappointed in himself. He's saying, you know what? There's no hope for me to ever come back again. I'm just going to go do what I used to do. I'm going back to fishing. I used to be a fisherman. Jesus called me to fish for men, but I can't do that anymore. I'm going to go back to my old occupation. And so he goes back and he tries to do the very thing he used to do, be a fisherman. And of course, he's not even successful at that. He catches nothing. If you read further in John chapter 21, you'll find out that Jesus shows up in this situation. And it's the moment when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And three times Peter affirms his love for Christ and is restored. But what I want you to see is that a great man like Peter became disappointed in himself and his disappointment led him to discouragement. And there's some of you here today, some of you under the sound of my voice right now, that that's exactly where you are. Some disappointments in your life has brought you to a place of great discouragement. The second thing that can discourage you is delays in life, waiting on stuff to happen. It might be a promise that you help, you're holding on to from God. It might be something that you'd hoped would happen in your life by this time, but it just hasn't happened in the time frame. And so you've got this deferred hope, this deferred anticipation in life. And the Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 12, that hope deferred, hope that's put off, something that you're waiting for, but it hasn't happened yet. Hope deferred, what does it do to your heart? It makes your heart, it can make your heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And so we can see that there are times in life when we're waiting on stuff to happen. And again, we had expected it to happen in a certain time frame, and it hasn't happened yet. And we feel the discouragement of that. There's a man in the scriptures by the name of Abram. He becomes Abraham eventually, but when we first meet him, his name is Abram. He's married to a lady by the name of Sarai, who will become Sarah. And so ultimately, they'll become the couple Abraham and Sarah. But if we first meet them, it's Abram and Sarai. And so God called Abram when he was 75 years of age to leave his country, to go to a new land, the land of Canaan. And God said, I'm going to make out of you a nation. I'm going to give you a son and make out of you a new nation. Ultimately, as we know it to be, the nation of Israel. Abraham responded, or Abram responded to God. He goes into the land of Canaan, and he begins to wait for the fulfillment of the promise. He waited, and he waited, and he waited. He waited 11 years, and nothing had happened. One day, he sort of looks at himself in the mirror and says, I'm not getting any younger. He looks at his wife, Sarai, and says, she surely is not getting any younger. We've got to do something. So Sarai said, we've got to make a decision here. What if you sleep with my... What if you sleep with my handmaiden? What if you sleep with Hagar? Maybe we can help God out. Ever tried to help God out? 
Maybe this is the way we'll fix this problem. We'll have a son through Hagar. And of course, you know the story where Abram slept with Hagar and the child was born. His name was Ishmael. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 16. And of course, we know the sequence of events that transpired related to that. This was not the promised son that God had for Abraham. And of course, there were issues that came up relative to that. And so Abram and Sarai have to wait another 13, 14 years before Isaac is born. They had to wait, but the waiting led them to a place of a bad decision because of discouragement. See, if you get discouraged in your waiting, you'll make some bad decisions in your life. Your impatience can drive you to decisions that are not very wise. And Abraham faced that in discouragement. Maybe is what you're facing today because some of you are, are experiencing some delays in things. You'd hoped certain things would have happened by now, but they haven't happened and you're discouraged. The third way is through disabilities. You might say, well, Pastor, what are you talking about? Disabilities, that doesn't relate to us. It might not relate to you, you think. But yes, it does. It relates to everyone because all of us here today have certain inabilities, certain incapacities in life. There are things that we wish we would be that are better than what we are, things we wish we could do that we can't quite do. How many of you wish you were a little bit smarter than you are, right? Have a little more brain power than you do or certain things in life that you feel like I'm just not as capable as I'd like to be. I have some limitations on my life. And every time it seems like I'm attempting to do something, these limitations stay stare at me and they stare me down and they bring me down and keep me from being everything I really want to be. It's called disability. Jesus finds a man during his ministry who's facing, in fact, numbers of people during his ministry that face disability. One particular story is found in John chapter 5. Let me read it for you, the first nine verses. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of, notice the word there, disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. One was there, one man was there who had been an invalid for how long? For 30 eight years, almost four decades, he had suffered with his disability. Now, I want you to notice the attitude in this man. I want you to see the discouragement that he was battling with when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Now, why would Jesus ask a man who is sick and disabled, do you want to get well? It seems like an obvious answer. Of course he does. But Jesus understood the emotional condition of this man. He realized that he was in a place of great discouragement. It is revealed in the next verses. Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. This man was discouraged because he said, you know what? I'm so disabled, I can't even make it into the pool. Other people get there before me. I'm never going to get what I'm looking for in life. My disability is going to limit me for the rest of my life. And Jesus said, no, it's not. But he was battling this discouragement in his soul. The fourth thing that can cause you to become discouraged would be difficulties you experience in life. Difficulties are just hard things you go through. Sometimes you're just in a hard place. 
It might be a difficulty in your finances. It might be a difficulty in your marriage. It might be a difficulty with one of your children. It might be a difficulty on your job. All difficulties come in many different forms, but there's a difficulty that shows up in your life and it just seems to hang over your life and you can't seem to get past it. And every day you wake up and the same problem is there. You wake up the next day and the problem is there again. And day after day it begins to wear upon you and discouragement begins to sneak in like a tide into your soul. In James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 we're told about these kind of difficulties and what they can do to us and what our response needs to be. He says, Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? By the way, it's interesting that difficulties and temptations go together. Then be happy. For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow, so let it grow. Don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. Here James gives us the way that we're to approach our problems. And that's not my focus today. My focus is upon the fact that when you're in a place of difficulty, you're in a vulnerable place because difficulties can cause you to do bad things. Difficulties can get you very discouraged inside of you. The last cause, common cause of Discouragement in life is just going through life drain, is what I call it. Just life can be draining, amen? It's not as though it's like one problem, it's just all these little problems. It's not that some big thing is going on, it's just the dailiness of life and you're dealing with stuff here and then you're dealing with a little bit of that there. Before long, it feels like that you've been made empty or dry on the inside. The, the life that used to be in you, you don't feel anymore. Maybe you just feel numb on the inside as though life has drained you. And life can be very draining. And that drain can get you to the place of deep discouragement. Another great man of God in the Bible, his name is Elijah. He went through a time of drain in his life and his drain, the drain of the environment around him and the circumstances that he faced discouraged him. Listen to his story in 1, John, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 1. Now Ahab, this was the king of Israel at the time, told Jezebel, that was his wife, the queen, everything Elijah, that's the prophet, had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. That was the prophets of Baal. I'll talk about that in a moment. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, I'm going to kill you like you kill them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba. That's at the lower part of Israel and Judah. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. In other words, he's saying, I am drained dry. I don't have any more to give. There's nothing else in me. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. In other words, Elijah is saying, I just don't have anything else in me. I might as well die. Heaven looks really good right now. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. At once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Here's Elijah, one of the great prophets of the Bible. He had faced down the 450 prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. It had been an amazing event where God had helped him and done miracles for him. And those 450 prophets of Baal had been put to death by Elijah. And then Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. And then Elijah says, I've got to run for my life. And so he begins to run. And in the running of his life, he's drained and dry. And he gets to the place of discouragement that says, I'm not even sure if life is worth living. 
And I believe that I'm talking to someone here today that that's exactly where you are right now in your life. You're drained to a point of saying, I'm not even sure life is worth living. I want you to know something. Life is worth living. Because here in this moment, God comes and restores and resurrects Elijah and brings him back again. And I will tell you, the same God that helped Elijah will help you. But here are the things that we can look at in life and say, you know what, these things can sneak up on you and they can discourage you. And I would imagine if I could look into the heart of people here today and sort of get a reading of the emotional and spiritual battery levels of some of you, that you would be at a very low place. But I will tell you that you're in the right place today because there's a God who knows how to recharge your battery. Amen? There's a God who knows how to do this for you. Okay? The second thing I want to share with you today is another important fact about discouragement. Discouragement has an impact upon you. This is why the devil uses his own people. There are two major things that will discourage that discouragement will do to you. Number one, it will depress your present. And number two, it'll cast shadows on your future. That's what discouragement does to you. It will depress you in the present and it will cast shadows on your future. See, discouragement steals, kills, and destroys. That's what it does. It depresses your present. I don't want to take a lot of time this morning to talk about what depression does to us. We all experience those moments from time to time. And God is not against you in a moment of depression. Never feel like that God has deserted you in a moment of depression. There are many places in the Bible where you'll find people, great people, struggling with depression from time to time. Read the book of Psalms. You, you find David going through moments when he felt like maybe God had forsaken him, wondering if, if indeed there was any hope for his life. And so we go through these seasons. But discouragement especially will begin to weigh in upon you and depress you. And one of the words for depress is to oppress. And that's exactly what Satan loves to do. He loves to oppress you in the present, to give you the sense that there's no energy and no value to today. Nothing you can do today is going to make any difference. And so he depresses you in the moment, and then he begins to cast shadows on your future. Not only is today bad, if you think today is bad, just wait for tomorrow. It's only going to get worse. And that's how a lot of people live. And by the way, when you hear a little voice in your head saying, there's no hope for today and tomorrow's going to get worse, understand, that's not the voice of God. That's the voice of your adversary. That's a lying voice of darkness coming to you. And yet discouragement does that to us. It presses us down in the present and it casts this shadow of darkness and foreboding and fear and worry and intimidation and uncertainty on our future. It paints this bleak picture of what's ahead of us. Discouragement says there's no reason to even try. As I was thinking about the effect of discouragement, I had to think about it in my own life because I will tell you that there have been times in my own life when I have been discouraged. You say, you're kidding me, Pastor. No, it's the truth. In fact, you find in Scripture, everybody goes through it. And so I, I tried to learn some lessons from my own life and by looking at other people and trying to, that I've worked with over the years and observed and, and, and trying to come to a sense of what does discouragement do to you? Why does the devil love to get you discouraged? And I listed nine things that are the consequences of discouragement in your life. I'm going to cover them quickly. Number one, when you're discouraged, you become less productive and effective and engaged. Of course, you can't be your best when you're discouraged. Many times when you're discouraged, you quit. You may not quit on the outside, but you quit on the inside. 
You just sort of give up. You refuse to try. I'm not going to even try anymore. I tried it. It didn't work. And so I'm discouraged. Not going to try a relationship anymore. Not going to try this anymore or that anymore. Why? Because I'm discouraged. You stop believing and stop hoping and stop loving and stop giving. You begin to pull back. You decline or settle for the ordinary or the mediocre. What that means is this. You put your life either in reverse or your life goes in neutral. You're not going, in, you're not going forward anymore. People are discouraged, especially when they're discouraged about disappointments in themselves. They will tend to live in unnecessary guilt and shame. They can't shake the guilt and the shame. They have a constant reminder of their failures. It just comes up over and over again to discourage them, to beat them down, to oppress them in their present, and to cast a dark shadow on their future. That results in isolation. We pull away from people and we have the tendency when we're alone to nurse our grudges and to grow more and more bitter. And then we also find ourselves in a place where we will tend to tend to yield more to temptation because in those moments there's a vulnerability when you're weak, when discouragement weakens you. You don't have as much resolve against the attacks of the adversary. All of these are the reasons why Satan wants to discourage you because of these effects that will happen in your life. In the Old Testament, there was a group of people called the Israelites that God led out of slavery. You know the story how God got them out of Egypt and took them across the Red Sea. His goal was to get them into the promised land. They were led by a man by the name of Moses. And as Moses led them out of the Egyptian slavery across the Red Sea, took them to Mount Sinai where they received the law of God, and then very quickly they went to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And from Kadesh Barnea, they were to go directly into the promised land. God wanted to get them in quickly. And so when they arrived at Kadesh Barnea, Moses said, okay, guys, the promised land is over there. We want to go in. It's time to go in and take the land. But before we go in, I want to send 12 guys ahead, one from every tribe of Israel. I want you to go in and check it out. You're going to be my spies and come back and tell me about that land. So 12 men were sent in to check the land out, an espionage uh, enterprise that they were engaged in. So they go in, they come back, and they say, you know, wow, it's an amazing place. You should see the grapes over there. They're huge, and it's beautiful. But 10 of them said, you know what? It's it's great, but there are a lot of giants over there. I, I don't think we can do this. And those 10 out of the 12, two of them said, yes, we can. God is with us. Joshua and Caleb, but 10 of them said, no, we can't do this. I want you to see what the Bible says happened through these 10 men. Numbers chapter 32, verses 8 and 9. Moses is now recounting this story. This is what your fathers did. These are these 10 spies that had a negative report. This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land After they went up to the valley of Eskel, that's where the beautiful grapes were, and viewed the land, what does does the scripture say? They did what? They discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. They came back and their message was a message of what? Discouragement. And listen, folks, you know what happened? Because they were discouraged and they didn't go in. What happened was they ended up spending 40 years walking around in a wilderness because they got discouraged. You know that when you're discouraged, the devil will keep you in a wilderness. Okay? The devil will keep you in a wilderness. Now, we all go through wildernesses. They went through a wilderness, but a wilderness is never designed for you to spend your life in. Okay? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a lot of people live in the valley. Okay? God says, I want to get you through the valley. 
But for 40 years, they walked around in a wilderness. Why? Because they listened to 10 voices of discouragement. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful what voices you listen to. Because a voice of discouragement can keep you for 40 years in a wilderness. Now let's fast forward 40 years later. Moses is now dead and Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land. This is a new day for them. But before Joshua leads them in, God says, Hey Josh, I need to have a conversation with you. I need to make sure you and I are on the same page before you try to lead them in. There's some things I need to say to you, Joshua, before you lead them in. And notice what God said to Joshua now that is reminiscent of what happened 40 years earlier. Notice what it says. He's saying, Joshua, here's what you need to do. Keep this book of the law always on your lips and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be... Don't be discouraged, Joshua, because do you remember, Joshua, 40 years ago, what kept the people out was discouragement. Don't let that happen to you again. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Discouragement will depress you in your present, and it will cast dark shadows on your future. But I want to bring you now in these final moments to the third point, the highlight point of my teaching today and the good news this is why you came to church today is this third point are you ready for it discouragement can be defeated this is the good news the battle with discouragement is a lifelong battle but there are, there are weapons of warfare that God has given us that will allow us to defeat the weapons of the adversary God sent Jesus his son into the world to not only save us from our sin, but to save us from the oppression of the devil. Did you hear me, church? God sent His Son, Jesus, into the world, not only to save you from sin, to give you eternal life, but to save you from the oppression of the devil. This is right in Scripture. Notice Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him that is in the ministry of Jesus there was an anointing to free people from the oppression of the adversary now is discouragement oppression churches discouragement oppression of course it is we just looked at all the consequences of being discouraged there's nothing more oppressing in your life than discouragement but I want you to know today I want to announce it clearly and very firmly and powerfully and authoritatively today that there is an anointing in Jesus Christ that breaks the yoke of discouragement in your life there's an anointing of Jesus that will break that yoke, that yoke of oppression in your life. Jesus is the one that can do this, but you must believe that that is possible. See, it was David's belief that made him different from all the other soldiers on the battlefield when they were withstanding Goliath. As Goliath would come out day after day and intimidate the armies of Israel, all the soldiers of Israel would come out for a brief moment, and then they would be discouraged at the voice of Goliath, and they would run back again. But one day, David shows up on the battle 
battlefield and he sees the situation. He sees the discouragement of all of his fellow Israelite soldiers. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Where is my slingshot? We're going to change this situation. And he tells Goliath, I'm coming against you, not with sword and javelin, but I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And I'm going to tell you something, Goliath, I'm going to knock you down. And when I do, I'm going to cut your head off. Once I cut your head off, I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air. Now, either you're crazy to talk like that, or there's an anointing on you to talk like that, okay? What I want you to know, there was an anointing on David because he backed up what he did. He knew what he was doing was not in his own strength or power. He knew that that oppressive giant was going to fall. And I'm here to tell you today that in your life, this oppressive giant called discouragement can fall. But you've got to rise up and get your spiritual slingshot out and say, I'm going to go against this thing. I'm not going to let it stay in my life. In the name of the Lord, in the name of the one who breaks the oppression of the adversary, we're going to see this yoke broken. It's going to be broken. Now, there are lots of scriptures I could take you to. And I'm going to take you to to two as we're wrapping up here today. I wish I had another hour to preach to you today. I don't, okay? You can breathe, right? It's okay. I'm not going to take another, okay? I wish I did. Because this is rich stuff. But come back for the next three weeks. I'll add on to this, okay? There's a story in, in the scripture that Jesus gave us in Luke chapter 15. It's a story of a young man who goes to his father one day and says, hey, dad, I'm, by the way, I'm going to paraphrase here, so give me the liberty of paraphrasing. He says, hey, dad, I don't like living at home anymore. I like to go out and do my thing. Can I have your money? That's pretty much it, okay? Give me my inheritance because I got plans, stuff, I want, things I want to do, okay? And so his dad gave him his inheritance, and of course, the, the young man goes out. You read the story in Luke chapter 15. He wastes everything in wild living. He ends up having nothing at all. He doesn't even have food to eat, and so he ends up in a pig pen feeding pigs. He has no food, so he actually eats the, pig, the food the pigs are eating. He is in a place of absolute discouragement. He has no hope for his future. I mean, he has wasted everything. He has made a mess of his life. He is, he is absolutely disappointed in the way things have turned out. He is in a place of great discouragement. But the Bible says that in the midst of that discouragement, he came to his senses. How I many know that trouble can wake you up sometimes, all right? He woke up to a reality in that moment. He said, you know what? I've got an idea. My idea is this, I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to tell dad, I'm home, I don't even want to be your son, I know I don't even deserve to be your son anymore, son is not even the the issue, I'll just come back, I know the servants in your house have it better than I have it here, so dad, can I come home and just be a servant at your house, that's all I want dad, I just want to serve at your house. Now notice what happens here when the young man begins to head back home. It's found in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See how discouraged he is. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate here's what I want you to see from this story you say what does this have to do with discouragement it has everything to do with discouragement 
Because here's this young man who's gotten himself into a mess. He is totally discouraged about life, but he says, maybe I'll go home and at least try to be a servant there. When he begins to come home, we have a picture of the heavenly father reaching out to you and me. That in the midst of our discouragement, we come back to God and God runs toward us and throws his arms around us and he begins to kiss us and welcome us back into the family. And the Bible says that he put a robe, the best robe on this son's back, covered up all the nastiness of his past situation. He covered it all up with the best robes. And we know those to be the robes of righteousness that Jesus gives to us. And then he put a ring on his finger. What kind of ring was that? That was the ring of It was the ring of the family. It was the family seal. He said, no, you're not going to be a servant in this house. You're my son. Then the Bible says he put sandals on his feet. Why did he put sandals on his feet? Because a servant couldn't wear shoes. A servant couldn't wear sandals. Only a son could wear the shoes. Only a son could wear the sandals. And so the father said, I want you to know you're back home. My arms are around you. I brought you back into my fold. There's a robe around you. There's a ring on your finger. There's a sandal. There's sandals on your feet. There's a fattened calf that's been killed. We're celebrating. We're having a party. In other words, I've rescued you out of your disgrace discouragement. The same father that did that for this son is the father you and I serve. And there are three things that are going to be on the screen very quickly for you. If you want to know how to get out of discouragement, these are not on your notes. This is free of charge for you right now. Okay. Number one, put it up quickly, if you will. To get out of discouragement, you got to see it for what it is. And this young man saw it for what it was. It was discouragement keeping him down. He recognized it for what it was. And then number two, pop it up there, if you will. Go toward you want to get out of discouragement, go toward the relationships and resources that are what? Reliable. Where did this man go when he realized he was in a mess? It's going back. He went to the relationships and resources. No, put the second one back up again. He went to the relationships and resources that were reliable, correct? Okay. Keep that one up just for a moment. What I want you to see is that when you're in a mess of discouragement, you can stay where you up or you can get up and say, I'm going, I'm moving forward. Amen. You can stay in your mess or you can say, no, I'm not staying here. And I hope that for some of you here today, this is the day that you say, I am not living in this any longer. God call me for more than this. Amen. I'm not going to live in this, this, this pond of this, this atmosphere of discouragement. I'm going to rise up. I'm going to go to the relationships and resources that are reliable. And that means first and foremost, going back to God and going to the voices that are going to be positive in your life. And faith filled with your life number three put it up if you will the third thing is know the true nature of your heavenly father know that when you come back to him you know what he's really like amen don't let the devil tell you what he's like no the bible tells you what he's like okay the true nature of your heavenly father i want to conclude with one last passage here it's found in matthew chapter 12 and it shows us the true nature of god the true nature of our heavenly father listen to what it says it's it's revealed through jesus christ it's a prophecy of Isaiah that's included in the book of, the book of Matthew, revealing the nature of Jesus. Here is my servant, this is speaking of Christ, whom I've chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. Notice verse 20. This is what I want you to hear. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory in his name the nations will put their hope 
The little phrase I want you to capture today is that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Did you hear that? My goodness, this is so good. A bruised reed. What is a bruised reed? If you've gone to Israel or any place actually around uh, water, you'll see it at times or different places. Reeds are, of course, just plants. Okay? And a bruised reed is one that's been hit in some way or damaged by something, by the elements that's caused it to fall over. Okay? And the natural thing that you would do with a bruised reed is just to either ignore it or get rid of it because there's no hope for it. It's bruised. It's over with. It's, its life is pretty much done. But the Bible says of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break. This is the thing I want you to see today. This is the nature of your father, the nature of Jesus, that when he finds you in a bruised place in your life, he doesn't discard you. He knows how to prop you right back up again so that life can come back. Amen, okay? He knows how to take bruised reeds and begin to reinforce them and bring them back up again so that there's hope for the bruised reed. Amen? And you might be one of those people today that in discouragement, you're down here like this. This is you right now. Life has bruised you. You've been discouraged by all kind of things, drained by all kind of things. But Jesus said, today, what I want to do is I want to start the process of pulling you right back up again. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. What what does that mean? All of you have had candles at your house before and you snuff them out and what happens after you snuff a candle out for a short period of time after the candle is snuffed out what do you have you have smoke but no fire right the fire has gone still some smoke there you know that's a lot of Christians a lot of smoke no fire right a lot of smoke around not not any fire and not any fire in the fire pit but there's some smoke still hanging around they know the Christian words to say, and they might even still come to church from time to time or, or do some Christian things, but, but it's all external. There's some, some smoke there, but, but the fire's gone on the inside of them. And so the tendency is to say, you know, it's not any hope for someone that's just a bunch of smoke and no fire, but Jesus said, no, no, that's not how I operate. A smoldering wick I will not snuff out. Here's the good news. Jesus knows how to take a bruised reed and prop you back up again, and Jesus knows how to come into a life that has no more fire, only smoke, and reignite the fire in you again, okay? He can light your fire, okay? He can light you up on the inside. There can come back a renewal of the fire of the Spirit of God inside of you like you felt at one time in your life. There's some of you, you can look back to a time in your life when the fire of God was burning inside of you. You had a love for God that was so intense and so great, but over a period of time because of circumstances and things that have happened, you've grown discouraged and now there's just a lot of smoke around. There's not a lot of fire there, but Jesus said, you came to church today. I'm ready to light your fire again, okay? I'm ready to prop you up again so that a bruised reek and heal and I'm ready to light your fire again so there's not just a lot of smoke there's something of substance that goes on in your life see this is the Jesus that we serve and this is the one that we realize that the discouragement in Christ can be defeated it can be conquered you don't have to live with it I'm going to ask you to put your notes aside just for a moment we're going to have a, wor- a moment of prayer Once you've done that, if you'll look up this way for a moment. If you went to the doctor's office and the doctor said to you, you've got this condition, but if you give me an extra 10 minutes, I'm going to help you with it. Would you take the extra 10 minutes to get well? Would you? Okay. Sometimes you need that extra, extra five or 10 minutes with God. Amen? 
So I want you to forget you even have a watch on, okay? Some of you are really looking at me right now. We're not going to take a long time. We are going to take a little bit of time with God right now. Because Jesus the therapist is in the house right now, okay? All right? Jesus the therapist is in the house right now. And what he wants to do is he wants to prop up some bruised reeds and he wants to reignite some smoldering wicks, okay? So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me all across the worship center, all of our campuses. And if you've been discouraged in a significant way or maybe in some way recently that you know that maybe you felt like that bruised reed when I was talking about it, you felt like that smoldering wick or you felt like that that son that needed to get back home to the father. But you weren't sure exactly how to do it. But you know that, that, that God's talking today about coming out of your discouragement. And you want to open up to the therapy of Jesus today. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to do something. Let me say something before I do. This is a safe place. Nobody's here to, to judge anybody at all. This is a house of broken people. We're all broken here. It's not a single one of us that have everything together. But if you'd say, you know, Pastor, I need this, this encouragement in my life. I need my bruised reed to be healed. I need my smoldering wick to be reignited. I need God to do something in me, and I want that today. This is my moment across our campuses. Would you just lift your hand right where you are? Just go ahead and lift it up high. No embarrassment. Be honest with God. You don't need to do it if you don't feel this, but if you really sense this, you need this in your life, don't, don't miss your moment. And do this at all of our campuses. I believe there are others that need to respond. You know, maybe you just feel like, I'm not even sure I should do this because I'm not sure it'll help. Let me tell you, give God a chance, amen? Give God a chance in your life today. Go ahead and reach out to Him. Let this be your moment. Now keep your hands up, if you will. Father, in the name of Jesus. Across all of our campuses this morning, the hands that I see and those that I can't, you see each one of them. And more importantly, you see the hearts. You see down to the discouraged places. You see where the devil has beat people down with discouragement, either because of disappointments or delays or difficulties or all these things we've talked about. Maybe it's just been the drain of life that has discouraged them. But Lord, they feel like a broken reed, a bruised reed. They feel like a smoldering wick. And Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you're the one that comes with the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. You're the one that comes and, 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 and reinforces the bruised reeds. You're the one that breathes life again and fire again to those that are smoldering wicks. And Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that even in this moment, as we're in this holy moment with you, that you would come by your Holy Spirit and begin to do something in hearts and lives today. Lord, for some, it'll be an instantaneous kind of moment. For others, it might be the start of a process. But Father, we pray that we would mark this day in the name of Jesus as a time of turnaround, as a time when encouragement begins to flood into hearts and lives. Lord, we pray that you'll turn it around for us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that the outward turnaround starts with the inward turnaround. Lord, let us begin to have that inward turn today through the power of your Holy Spirit. Now, would you just begin to thank him right where you are for what he's doing in your life? Just begin to offer him thanks. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in me. Tell him that right now. Thank you for what you're doing in me. Let there be an expression of your faith toward him this morning. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in lives today. In Jesus' name.
I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.